Picture a lush grove of olive trees with olives of unknown size. After all, it's a few years before the early drafters of Jewish law were measuring out the appropriate portions of matzah for Passover. It's somewhere between 3 and 400 BCE. The philosopher Plato has just founded his philosophical academy in Athens, Greece, which will eventually become Aristotle's home base. Theophrastus, a student of Plato and Aristotle, is sitting on the ground under an olive tree. Theophrastus is spending his day in Plato's academy, hitting rocks against other rocks and rubbing his fingers across their cracking, jagged surfaces. Smashing rocks against other rocks is a science older than Homo sapiens, but Theophrastus is the first known systematic chronicler of rock properties. He was interested in what rocks did when they smashed together, when they burned, and when they were soaked in water. Did they break or shatter or crumble into sand? I'm Leah Reckman. And I'm Andrew Middleton. This is Measure for Measure, a little show about sizing up our world. Today we're hitting up against the very nature of measurement. How can we best describe the world around us in its infinite complexity with finite measures? In other words, how hard are rocks? Here's Theophrastus talking about and reflecting on and describing his experience hitting rocks on other rocks. Theophrastus wrote this observation in his lecture notes thematically titled On Stones. Some stones seem to conquer other stones, as he said, acting as dominant agents while other stones submitted to their strength and will. As a philosopher, Theophrastus wanted simply to understand and describe the world as best he could. Theophrastus's notes on stones were translated into German in 1818, and at the same time, across the German-speaking Habsburg Empire, a young and ambitious mining student named Frederick Mose was starting to develop the Mohs scale of hardness for a more practical purpose. Mohs, known by his Christian name as Karl Friedrich Christian Mohs, was from the Harz Highlands in northern Germany. There, Mohs was briefly responsible for supervising miners and ensuring their safety as they extracted coal to fuel the Habsburg Empire. But he was more interested in the rocks they were hitting, and rocks in general, than in being a foreman. He quickly transferred from the mining fields to the German Mining Academy and from there moved up the academic ranks. In Vienna, the empire's heart of science and culture, Mose began to work on the same problem that Theophrastus encountered some 2,000 years earlier. There were still some rocks that hadn't been hit together. <laughs> there are lots of rocks. How might one describe them or, or tell them apart? What features distinguish certain types of materials from others? Mose was asked to manage a private collection of minerals for one of the wealthiest bankers in the empire, and in that position, he started to ask some questions about the rocks. The project that Mose was part of was, was bigger than rocks. In this moment in European history, the Habsburg Empire wanted to have a national character that was both distinct and unified. They wanted the nation to have artifacts, science, and art that demonstrated the uniqueness and excellence that the people had to offer. I guess that's sort of the... the eternal problem with empire is that you're you're always growing by adding other cultures to your state and if you're an empire like you're you're so sprawling in territory and industry that you don't really have a national identity so you have to invent it right this is really I mean, I know we're talking about rocks, but we're also talking about nations here, right? This is the beginning of the modern nation. So um, the Habsburg Empire is trying to say we are one empire, we are a unified whole. 
And also at the same time to say we are distinct from those around us who are not part of this empire. And so things like categorizing the rocks and talking about the rocks of the Habsburg Empire is one of many ways that the empire was trying to say we are one thing together. So the empire wanted to have a, have artifacts and science and art that demonstrated the uniqueness and excellence that the people had to offer. Mose and his colleagues were creating the modern museum, a collection that was available to the everyday citizen that boasted all the rocks and minerals of the nation and from which both the scientist and the passerby could glean key information to better understand the objects and the land. So this is sort of the beginning of that kind of public science education. The idea is that any person in the Habsburg Empire could wander into one of these collections and see, oh, these are rocks from where I'm from. This describes the land that I know, and I am part of this bigger project that is the Habsburg Empire. That's so cool. I usually think of museums as as such like an ancient idea that, you know, we would put a we would have a building and we would fill it with cool things and everyone could come see. But that's a pretty recent innovation. You know, before that, you had these cabinets of curiosity where you had rich people just traveling around the world and coming back and putting trinkets in a box. And they were mostly for themselves. They weren't for the public. So that's really cool. Right. And and Mose is partly responsible for thinking about how to make them accessible to the public. He's asking, how might we better arrange the collection to be as appealing as possible to a visitor while also establishing a meaningful order for the collection's items? So he's trying to create some sort of scientific metric mm. and also make it accessible to a public that doesn't know anything about rocks. And it's in this context that Mose invents the Mose scale. He categorized rocks by their level of hardness. So here we get back to Theophrastus. In other words, Mose is saying, if one rock hit another rock, would it break or scratch the second rock? If one rock was scratched and the other one was not after being struck, the unscratched rock was harder, Mose says. He's trying to describe the infinite variety of minerals on the basis of simple features of hardness. To do so, he identifies 10 key minerals and associates them with 10 notches on a continuous spectrum of hardness. So he's saying, you know, it's not just a little bit harder. It's, these are the 10 levels of hardness. So, so he would take a random collection of rocks from all over the world, and he'd be able to arrange them in order of hardness from softest to hardest. Right. And just to give you a sense of what this actually means, diamonds are a full 10. So diamonds are able to scratch other rocks without itself being scratched. Diamonds can only be scratched by other diamonds. Today, jewelers shape diamonds with diamond-pointed tools for that reason. Talc, on the other hand, which is a clay mineral used in baby powder and makeup and on the inside of rubber gloves, scores a 1 as the softest material on the scale. Household knives, for example, would rate around the middle of the scale, around a 5 or 6. And your fingernail? Have you ever tried to scratch your fingernail on a rock? That would be a two. If you've heard of Mohs and the Mohs scale of hardness, you probably paid a lot of attention in middle school physics, which clearly, Andrew, you did. And you're familiar with something like this adorable song by middle school YouTuber Jeremy Reisman. When you don't know how hard a rock is and you can't look it up because you don't know what it's called when you need to know to tell your science teacher and you have nothing but some rocks on a scale you can just use this scale the most hardness scale you need to perform a test called a scratch test the most scale of hardness was also intended to be extremely simple the scale is mostly useful for middle school kids like our esteemed songwriter who are out hiking and want to quickly identify an unknown substance. 
How hard is the substance? Harder than my fingernail, softer than your knife. So between a two and a five on the scale. That could be a pretty important clue to cheaply and quickly identifying a a range of options out in nature. So that's a way to cut down the possibilities. That's right. You're just saying, well, it's definitely not a diamond because my knife can cut it. But it's also because that would be a dope find on a trail. <laughs> but it's also not talc, right? Because my fingernail can't scratch it. So it's it's yeah, it's a way of narrowing the range of possibilities. And knowing the type of rock isn't merely a matter of idle curiosity. It's not just for a middle school science project. Not that that's not important, Jeremy. For people who use rock to build things like fortresses or wells or cathedrals, the type of rock used can be the difference between a monument that lasts a thousand years and a collapse that kills hundreds, or between a mine that strikes gold and one that releases toxic gas. The scale was also intended to describe a comprehensive spectrum. All variations of rock hardness and softness have a place on the Mohs scale. Diamonds are really hard and represent an appropriate upper end of the scale, but what about the difference between a 5 and a 6? Mohs had to make some choices. This is where a level 6 hardness ends and a level 5 hardness begins, he determined. And this is the nature of measurement on a spectrum. Most skill of hardness required arbitrary cutoff points to describe an infinite spectrum of experiences of hardness. Arbitrary scales are ways to turn a continuous reality into discrete categories that we can actually name as ones, twos, or threes on a scale. We need these arbitrary choices between one step on the spectrum and another to categorize hardnesses that would otherwise have entirely continuous values. Mose created boundaries between rocks, between talc and diamonds, but also between fingernails and steel, one metal alloy and another, so that we could talk about them, sure, and measure them and describe them, and ultimately, so that we could understand one another a little bit better. Measure for Measure is a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. The show is executive produced by me, Leah Rechtman, created by Andrew Middleton, and sound engineered by Greg Friedel. Our music is by Siraj Sintu and Mackenzie Kugel. Thanks to Zach Davis for chipping away with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can learn more on our website, ministryofideas.org measure, or find us on Twitter at Measure4M and Instagram at MeasureForMeasurePod. That's with the number four. You can also email us at MeasureForMeasurePod at gmail.com. That's MeasureForMeasure with the number four. Thanks for listening. See you next time.